So beginning in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 69, it says, Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom the price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge. So that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with his righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. You know, one of the things that I've found through my life is that people handle guilt in different ways. Some people handle it well. Some people don't handle it at all. I've also found out that if we don't handle it at all, it just leads to more guilt and more struggle. As we look at this passage before us, the primary point of this passage is telling us about our Savior going to that cross for us. But as we see this passage that we read and we see all these different events and these different people that are involved, there's a lot of guilt here. There's a lot of things that are happening that are not above board, that are not just, that are not fair, that are not right. But God's overall plan is right that He's accomplishing through His Son. We see these, all these different people are going to respond differently to the level of guilt or the guilt that they find themselves in. When I think about the Gospel, 
The gospel is a simple message. The word gospel means good news. This good news that has come to us is coming to us who have violated God's standards, who have sinned against a holy God. And because of that, we're under judgment. We have the wrath of a holy God on an unholy people. But the good news is that Jesus went to the cross, and when he went to the cross, he bore the wrath of God. He took all the penalty for our sins upon himself on that cross. He bore our sins in his own body on that tree so we could be forgiven of our sins. Now that's good news, but you know what I find is that the gospel, which actually even means good news, is not always taken as good news because it has that starting point of condemnation. And some people, when they hear the gospel... It doesn't sound like good news. It sounds like bad news because you're telling them that they fall short. You're telling them that they, that they don't measure up. You're telling them that they're under condemnation of a holy God. And that, that absolutely, that, that's bad news. There's no two ways to look at it. But this holy God is also loving and merciful. And so he paid our price of salvation by offering up his own son so that we could have eternal life just by repenting of our sins and putting our faith and trust in Christ. Now that, is good news. If, if you're not on death row, if you're out here free, and somebody tells you, you know what, you should be on death row, that's bad news. But if you recognize that you're on de- death row, and somebody says, you know what, there's a guy coming with a key, he's going to let you out, that's really good news. Different people will respond to the gospel different ways, and the reason is because they're responding to their guilt in different ways. And that's what I see throughout this passage, too, is I see different people in this event that respond in different ways to their guilt as we consider it this morning. So that's what I want to consider as we go through this passage, the handling of guilt. In this passage, I see five different responses to human guilt. We need to look at all the others in consideration of this first one. The first person responding to human guilt in this is, in fact, God. What is God's response? As we look through this passage, what we see is we see Jesus Christ going to the cross on purpose, He's determined to get to the cross. He has an opportunity to speak up for himself. The people were hiring false witnesses to come. They'd hired Judas to to betray Christ, to hand him over. They were doing all kinds of crooked things. Even the court hearings were were not right. You were not allowed to hold court for a capital offense other than business hours in Jerusalem. And they were holding it in the middle of the night. They were not allowed to hold court hearings for that kind of a case outside of the temple courts. And they're, they're having court everywhere else. And so they're doing all these corrupt things. He could have easily answered the things that were raised against him. But it says that when the chief priests and those people were there, he would not answer a word. Not one charge. Because of that, Pilate was amazed. Pilate could see that the the testimonies didn't even line up of the false testimonies that they had, had hired in. Pilate could see the crookedness of it without Jesus even saying anything. But it was God responding to human guilt. And what was he doing? He was satisfying it. He was providing forgiveness for our human guilt. Undoubtedly the most popular verse within the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says He came into His own and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So you see, God was working in and through the life and the death and the resurrection of His Son to accomplish for us the forgiveness of sin, to, to deal with our guilt, to put our guilt away. 
in the book of Acts, as Peter is at Pentecost and he preaches to the people, he acknowledges that though the people had a hand in it, though the people were definitely guilty for hanging Christ on the cross the way they did, they were actually accomplishing the purpose of God. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so he says, look, this Jesus that gave you ample proof that he was the Son of God through miracles and signs, you people delivered him up to the cross to be killed. But he gives us the God side of the equation in there as well. He says he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. As Jesus was going through these hearings and remaining silent, he was accomplishing his Father's will, headed to the cross. You know, I remember having Bible stories with my kids and and showing them like with Pharaoh. How Pharaoh would fight against God all the time, creating this very situation that would bring honor and glory to God. Romans in chapter 3, it tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I love that last line because it really kind of sums up the Gospel for us a little bit. Is Why the Gospel? Why Jesus going to the cross? And He gives us the answer. It's because of the nature of God. God is just. Which means... When there's sin, God can't just say, oh well, and let it slide off. Because sin confronts His holy nature. And because of His holiness and because of His justice, there has to be a penalty for sin. And just as God told Adam and Eve in the garden, just as He tells us in the book of Romans, He tells us that the wages of sin is death. The price for sin is death. Think about it. Adam and Eve, all they did was eat the wrong piece of fruit off the wrong tree. But they did it in disobedience to God, and the result of that is death that has been on our creation ever since. If God just says, ah, forget it, then he's not just, and he's not holy, and he cannot confront his own nature. But God is not only just and holy, God is also merciful. And so God wants to be merciful, and at the same time, he wants to be justice. He he is justice, and he is merciful. And so what does he do? He sends His Son to the cross, bears the penalty for our sin, and when He does that, God is just because He's punished sin, and He's the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. It's just like He would say a little bit farther in the book of Romans in chapter 5. He says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You see what that's saying? One act of disobedience plunged the whole world into sin. That's Adam eating the apple. God says, I'm going to undo that. One act of righteousness through Jesus Christ going to the cross for us. By this one act of righteousness, we can be justified. And so what we're seeing through this whole passage in the book of Matthew is we're seeing God's response to our human guilt. Because of the guilt of our sin, Jesus is determined to go to that cross to lay down His life for us so that we 
can have eternal life. He's going to accomplish His Father's purposes so that God can be both just by punishing sin and the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. He can be just and merciful and accomplish our forgiveness. That's the big picture here. That's what's going on. Now, it's in light of that that we need to consider the other responses to their guilt because some of them are just a shame. With all the forgiveness that's available and what could have been, it's a shame at some of the things that did happen. Well, as we look at the next one, we see the result of the leaders. And the result of the leaders was to just ignore it. It was to ignore their guilt. They didn't, they didn't recognize their guilt. They didn't own up to their, any guilt. What a hypocritical bunch. As we read down through this passage, they're determined to put Christ to death. And why? Well, in the passage it says that Pilate knew it was because of envy. Jesus is gaining a hearing. People are listening. People are watching the miracles. People are flocking to Him. And the religious leaders don't want that. They feel competition. But you know what? They will go to every crooked end to get their way. In fact, it's kind of, it's kind of ironic to watch it. They will take money out of the temple treasury, 30 pieces of silver, and pay Judas to betray Christ, to bring Christ to them. But then when Judas, when Judas comes back and says, I've betrayed innocent blood, I need to give you your money back, and he throws that money into the, the temple, which forces the priest to deal with it, because the word that he used meant the area that only the priest could go into. And then what is their response? Well, that's blood money. We can't, we can't put that money back in the temple treasury because now it's blood money. It's, it's guilt, there's a guilt that's associated with this. And so we can't put it back in. Are you kidding me? You could take it out of the temple treasury to pay to have somebody killed, but you can't put it back in once it's been out. It's kind of like a hamburger at McDonald's, I guess. You can cross the counter to go out, but you can't bring it back if it was the wrong one. It's got to stay out there. Well, the religious leaders, why, why is it that they don't even see this? Why does what is so obvious to everybody else, why, why does it not catch their attention? Why don't they recognize? You know, it's like the high priest. The high priest at one point would say, you guys are crazy. Don't you know that it's better for one person to die so that the nation will be what we want it to be for the sake of the nation? And he didn't even know this, but God actually had him prophesying at that time because there is a truth there. It's better for Christ to die so that we could all be forgiven. But that's not the point he was making. He was making it for his own evil schemes. He's saying we have our nation that we want. This person is disrupting it. It's better for that one person to die for the better of the nation. Well, it's because of the hardness of their heart. The Bible tells us that people respond to guilt, their guilt in a, a wrong way because of the hardness of heart. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself against the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Also in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 18, it says they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. And so he says that it's the hardness of heart that keeps us from responding appropriately to God that will actually remedy our guilt. And that's what's so sad in all this stuff is that these people that kick against it because of the because of what they feel of their guilt or even ignore of their guilt, they don't respond back to God's response toward us in covering our guilt, then all they do is magnify their guilt. In Hebrews chapter 3, the Bible makes it repeatedly through that passage. He gives them this argument. He looks back at the Old Testament when Israel came out of Egypt with Moses, and he says, look at the hardness of those people's hearts. God brings Moses up on top of the hill to give them the law. They're already making a golden calf to worship. 
Look at their rebellion against God. For 40 years they rebelled against God in the wilderness. And then he makes this statement to them. Don't you do the same thing. Don't harden your hearts as they harden theirs. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. These are people that are looking at, uh, they've made a profession of faith in Christ, but they're looking at turning back, turning away from him. And he's saying if you turn your, away from him, you're just showing that your heart is as hard as Old Testament Israel's was when they continually rebelled against God. He's saying look, look at your heart. Don't have that hard heart. Respond. Hold to, cling to Christ. As we look at the leaders, what was their response toward their guilt? They ignored it. They were hard-hearted and just determined to get their own way. And because of that, they would have face eternal judgment. Judas. If I was to say what Judas's response is toward his own guilt, I would say he's feeling it deeply. He's definitely recognizing that he has done something horribly wrong. Now, Judas has never been a genuine believer, but he put on a good show. Even when Jesus would tell the disciples, one of you is going to betray me, nobody suspected Judas. He was the keeper of the money bags for the ministry that they were accomplishing. And the Bible says that he would skim off the top of it, but nobody ever suspected. Finally, when it comes down to Jesus gets paraded into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week with everybody praising his name, and then Jesus made it clear to the disciples that he wasn't going to the throne, he was going to the cross. And Judas decided to get what he could get out of the situation. Judas has followed Christ for three and a half years at this point. He's probably lost some income to do that other than what he could skim off the top. But Judas has decided that he's followed Christ all this time and that he's not going to be part of a kingdom right now. Then he's going to get what he can get for him now. And so he goes and he makes this deal with the leaders for 30 pieces of silver to turn over Christ to them. Judas definitely feels the guilt when he recognizes, oh, they're putting him to death. And he knows who Christ is. He knows the innocence of Christ. And he just, I just can't do this. But he's not a believer. In fact, Christ had mentioned, he says, I have not I chosen you twelve, but one of you has a devil. So he recognized that Judas was not a genuine believer. Judas had an opportunity here. Judas did probably the most unspeakable crime in all of history, where he handed over the innocent Christ to wicked men to have him put to death, and he did it for money. Well, Judas is feeling the guilt of that, and he should, even if he, he probably even remembers a few verses from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 25, it says, Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say, Amen. So the Old Testament called you under a curse if you were involved in bribe for the purpose of shedding blood. Deuteronomy chapter 21 also says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him in the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. And so it points out in this passage that cursed man, somebody condemned to die, that they were cursed by God if they were hung on a tree and put to death in that way. So Judas may be connecting these two things, recognized that he's under a curse because of his actions, and then went and carried out that curse himself by hanging himself. It's impossible to know everything that was going on in his mind. But I do know this. Judas became overcome by his guilt, and he took his own life. I'm not saying that 
suicide is the unforgivable sin. Some people think that. And the reason that they think that, from what uh, the ones that I've talked to or read from, is that they think that if you kill yourself, you can't, you can't confess your sin after that. You can't say, oh, sorry, because you're dead, and so you can't be forgiven. But your, your being forgiven has, is not dependent upon your being able to confess every sin. If that were the case, none of us would make it. I've sin, I sin so well, I sin so naturally that a lot of times I sin without even realizing I did it. That's part of being a sinner. If I get in a, get in a car wreck after having a, a wrong thought or saying a wrong word or, or a, a wrong attitude towards somebody else or something like that, that doesn't instantly send me to hell because I didn't have a chance to ask forgiveness. When I entrusted Christ as my Savior, He forgave my sins, past, present, and future. I'm forgiven. Now, I think you do have to enter in the question when you're dealing with suicide is we're saved by faith, and suicide is definitely not an act of faith. And so God's got to sort those things out. That's beyond my abilities, way above my pay grade. As we look at this, Judas is overcome by his guilt, and he could have turned and asked forgiveness. Christ was busy going to the cross to pay for that sin and every other. He could have responded with repentance and sought forgiveness, and he would have had it. But instead, he goes out and he takes his own life. You know what he just did with his guilt? He just made it permanent. That's all he did. He heightened it and he made it permanent. That's Judas's response. And I also have to put this in the hardness of heart category. Even though he's obviously got some, uh, he's struggling emotionally. I'd also have to put it in the hardness of heart category. And the reason is because when I look at the end of the story, you go back to the book of Revelation. God says the people are going to cry out for rocks to fall on them rather than repent of their sins. When, when ultimate forgiveness is available, they would rather die in their sins in an agonizing way than submit to the will of God and receive the forgiveness of God. And that's Judas's unfortunate response. Pilate, well, Pilate, he tried, he's trying to get out of it. He's, he's in this position. He didn't ask for this position. He didn't ask for this, this trial, but it's laid at his lap. And he doesn't want it. His first response to the Jewish people is, you try him yourself. They said, we can't. The Jewish people didn't have the authority to put anybody to death. That had to come under Roman rule. So they said, you put him to death. Pilate says, what has he done? You know what they told him? If you read the other Gospels, if he hadn't done anything, we wouldn't have brought him to you. That's what they told him. Pilate says, bring him here. And he interviews Christ. And he says, he hasn't done anything wrong. In the time that Christ is before him, Pilate will say three times that Christ has done nothing wrong. The Gospel of John gives a more detailed account. It says, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I I find no guilt in him. But Jews were insistent. And so Pilate takes Jesus and he has him whipped. And then he brings him back out before the people and says, there, I beat him, hoping that would satisfy him. Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And then lastly, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. So three times, if you can imagine that, if you're in a courtroom and three times the judge says he hasn't done anything wrong, and then without saying anything else, he says go out and put him to death. What an atrocity. That's exactly what happened here. But Pilate notices that he's not gaining any headroom with these people. And that there's a riot that's starting. And he's worried about that because if there's a riot, then he's got to answer to Caesar. Rome tolerated no riots. He said, okay, go ahead. He brings out a basin of water and he washes his hands. And symbolically, he says, I'm washing my hands of the blood of this innocent man. That was a nice gesture maybe, but it was ineffective. It doesn't get him out of the guilt that he just signed his name to. 
Pilate just wanted it to just go away. He just wanted to ignore it. You know, I find that a lot of people are like that. I was like that for a long time. When I would recognize my own guilt, I just wanted it to go away. I just didn't want to think about it. I just I'll think about something else. I'll focus on other things. But it's not until we come to grips with our guilt that we're ready to receive the forgiveness that God offers to us. And so Pilate would be one more person that would walk away, maybe for different reasons than the leaders, different reasons than Judas, but he would still walk away from the forgiveness that's offered in Christ. Now remember, I said we've got to look at all these with the backdrop of what God was doing at the time. God was busy providing forgiveness for mankind's guilt, and one at a time these men are walking away from it as fast as they can. Let's bring us to the last example, which is a much more encouraging one, and that's that of Peter. Because Peter, remember, Peter denied Christ. And denying Christ was no little thing. In fact, Jesus had even said back in Matthew chapter 10, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And so it's a big deal to, to deny Christ. Peter would deny Christ three times in one evening. Jesus told him he would do it when Peter said, hey, we're with you to the end. He said, will you really, Peter? You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And Peter does just that. The first two of them were before little servant girls. And then last one before the crowd, but he turns and he denies Christ. And then he hears the rooster crow. Now here's the difference. And it says that he went out and he wept bitterly. His feeling of his guilt drove him to a genuine repentance. How do we know that was Peter? By following the rest of the story. When we get to the Gospel of John, it says when, now this is after Jesus died on the cross, after Jesus rose again from the dead, and he's already appeared to the disciples. But Peter and, and John and a bunch of them are back out fishing. And Jesus shows up on the beach, tells them, are you catching anything? They said, nope, didn't catch anything. He said, throw your nets on the other side. And they said, oh, we know who that is from a previous miracle. And so the Peter uh, jumps right in. Swims to shore and they get there. Jesus has fish cooking on a fire. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to, them, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he'd said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You see what Jesus does with Peter there? Peter denied Christ three times. Jesus gives Peter three times, three opportunities to reaffirm his love for Christ. And Peter reaffirmed it every time. In fact, it was getting a little embarrassing for him. And then Jesus has this weird saying, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went around freely. When you're old, you're not going to be able to go where you want. You're going to be arms stretched out. They're going to do what they want with you. And by this, he would signify what kind of death Peter would accomplish. They would crucify him and hang him upside down. That was the way Peter died. But what, what is the point in this weird little saying that Jesus makes? What did Peter just do? Peter denied Christ three times with an oath to do what? To save his own neck. Jesus is reinstating Peter. He's saying, look, Peter, he says, this isn't over. This time you denied me to save your neck. Next time you'll lay down your life for me. 
That's what he's telling them. Your hope isn't lost. Peter's the one out of this group that we've looked at this morning that responded to his guilt properly, that recognized his guilt before God, felt sorry for it, and received the forgiveness. His guilt didn't drive him away from God. His guilt drove him toward God. It drew him in for forgiveness. His guilt didn't make him despair to death. It made him despair to life because he would turn and embrace Christ. And that's exactly why God was sending His Son to that cross at the moment was to provide the forgiveness of sins that the religious leaders could have gotten had they had they turned before, that Judas could have gotten, had he received, that Pilate could have gotten, that Peter did experience. How about us? We all have guilt. You may not have betrayed Christ. You may not have denied Him three times publicly to somebody else. We all have that guilt. I remember the day I wrestled with Christ over my salvation. I thought, no, i got to be okay. I'm fine. Not that bad. That's not the right way to deal with it. It wasn't until the kind of the end of that argument with God where I finally said, "All right, I, re- I recognize it. I'm 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 guilty. I need your forgiveness." And you know what? Then I experienced it. We all have guilt. It's 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 about handling our guilt in the right way. It's about bringing our guilt to the person that satisfied our guilt.